Well, I want to encourage you again to uh, continue to listen to uh, what the Spirit may be speaking to you, uh, to pay attention uh, in the moments that God speaks these little thoughts that may stir you in a, in a new and unusual way. Tonight we're going to look at a very familiar story, one that probably some of you have heard numerous times or even you've heard discussions about. Maybe you've heard it in the public eye. It's a story of David and Goliath. This is the greatest and most epic battle of all time in the Bible, I believe, and there's a lot of them there, but this one is super interesting because I believe it's one where when we hear the story, we imagine what it would be like if we were in the middle of that story. Because I don't think there's any young man or man in this room that hasn't imagined what it would be like to be David in this moment. So let me try my best to describe what's going on here in 1 Samuel 17. Uh, the Israelite nation has gathered for war against the Philistine nation. They've gathered in the valley of Elah. And so in this valley there, there's a great wadi. It's a washout. It's like a, a giant California aqueduct. Okay, that's what you got here. And it's dry season. So on one side, there is a tell or a small mountain. On the other side is a tell and a small mountain. On one side is the Israelite army. On one side is the Philistine army. And they've come out to war. And there's talk about war, there's preparations for war, there's cheering for war, but there ain't no war going on. And Jesse, the father of David, is at home, and he has at least three of his sons out in this battle. And it's going on for days and days and days and days and days, and Jesse hears nothing about it, so he turns to his youngest boy, David, and tells him to mount up an ass, because I can say that here. And he gives him a meat and cheese platter to take out to war. That's what he does. So David loads up this mule and heads out for the battle. And as he arrives out there, he hears a stirring. And as he arrives on the scene, he sees that the Israelite army is gathering its, its forces for military battle. It's dressed and it's cheering. And then all of a sudden, he sees that the Philistine, Philistine army is, is gathered for battle as well. And then from among their ranks, the Philistine army, comes a giant man. And this giant man's name is Goliath. And he proposes again, now over a month, day after day after day after day, that the Israelite army should bring out their greatest man for war. And he beckons them to do it. And what they're going to do is solve this issue mano e mano, Right? David hears about this, and he's puzzled by it, and he begins to inquire among the ranks what's going to be done for the man that goes to battle with this guy, and of course, there's murmuring around the ranks, and then his older brothers hear about it, and they do what older brothers do. They tease him because he's come out. This 15-year-old boy has come out to this battle to find out what is going on with this meat and cheese platter riding on his little donkey, you know, coming to, you know, find out what's going on on the scene. But there's nothing going on, fellas. There's nothing going on. These guys have gathered for over a month, talked about war, cheered about war, but done nothing. Nothing. And I want you to see this moment because this is the indicative moment of men. That we talk about what we're going to do, but we don't actually do it. And we're convicted by it, but we don't show up. Because we're apathetic toward being obedient to God. And God's just looking for one guy. 
And this 15-year-old boy shows up. And he inserts himself into the story. So now I want to read the story because I, I think the story's just that good. Now, some of you have probably heard the story a few times, maybe a hundred times, maybe a thousand times. Some of you have never heard it. But whether you not you've heard this story never or you've heard it a thousand times, I please enjoy the reading of the story again. And I pray that God would stir something in you tonight that would cause you to understand this one thing. What does it mean for us to war against the apathy that lies in our own heart? What does it look like for you to go to war with the apathy that lies within your own heart? We're going to begin in verse 31. Here's what happens next. When the words that David spoke were heard, they, that's the forces that be, repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. So there's some chatter around camp, right? And people are hearing about this. And Saul hears that there's this commotion from this boy. So he sends for David. And David approached Saul and he said to him, said to Saul, in front of everybody, get this, David says, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. I think that's pretty laughable. Because you got a 15-year-old boy who's just a kid, who's the first guy on the scene who says, sign me up, bro, I'll go fight. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Which is logical reasoning, Right? But David said to Saul, and this is his resume, fellas. He's showing up for a job interview, and this is his resume. Here's how he starts it out. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. That's what he tells him. I used to keep sheep? Oh, you're kidding. You've showed up for battle. No kidding. And you give me the resume? You used to keep sheep for your daddy? I mean, come on. This guy is disqualified in the first sentence here. But he continues. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him, struck him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, this uncircumcised Philistine, which I just think is so laughable. I'm glad you're laughing about it. God, when guys get together, we always talk about each other's junk. He's here in this moment. He's like, I'm going to make nothing of this guy. He's got extra flesh. I'm going to show him up. And really what he's talking about here is he's talking about his religious status with God, right? Let's be clear about that. I'm joking with you, but let's just be clear about what he's talking about here. He shall be like one of them, for he has defied, listen, he has defied the armies of the living God. Amen. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And get this. And Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. Now that's preposterous. Come on. He hands the entire kingdom over to a 15-year-old boy. If that was you showing up for a job interview at a major corporation, they would have laughed you off the stage. 
But I think it's so funny the day that Saul hands the entire kingdom over to this little boy. Because don't forget the logical choice to go fight Goliath was who? King Saul. The tallest man in the kingdom chosen by the people. The guy who's the most prepared to go fight with this giant is the one saying to a little boy, go fight. <laughs> Foolish. Talk about apathy. You ever done something like that? Hand off responsibility to someone else because you weren't willing to do it, even though God had called you to do it and prepared you to do it and gave you all the resources to do it and gave you the size and everything that you needed to do it, but you refused to do it, and you hand it off to somebody else. That stings a little bit, doesn't it? But he hands it off to them. And then Saul does this. And then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. But David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. He threw them on the ground, which is offensive to a king. Then he took his staff, his shepherd's staff, by the way, in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the brook, because we're talking about a wadi here. This is a washout. So he's choosing five of the smooth stones over which the water has cleaned and washed themselves and put them in his shepherd pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I love this story, but when I get to heaven, I want this replayed for me on TV in HD 4K or whatever God watches things in, right? I want it surround down stereo. I want, I want to see everything in these next moments, right? Because it's preposterous what's about to happen. It doesn't even make logical sense in my mind because all of a sudden, I want you to imagine you've got a, 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 an Israelite army over here on a tell and you've got a, a Philistine army over here and this boy reaches down and gets this stuff. They're all gathered for war, and Saul's waving bye-bye to the kingdom is what he's doing, right? So this little boy here and the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. So he's got, he's got a dude in front of him with a shield-bearer, right? Giant man, all outfitted. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. He disdained him, which probably means he's cursing at this young man. For he was but a youth, notice this, ruddy and handsome in appearance. So Goliath approaches the scene and goes, oh, look at this good-looking little Jewish boy here, you know? Like, well, I don't, like it, it's kind of, it's, everything about this scene is wrong. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? He's ridiculing his tools, right, in this moment. He's bringing the wrong tools to the party, so he's going to make fun of him. Am I a dog that you bring sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, listen carefully, because David's going to repeat this later. He says, he says, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, oh, oh, I want this played back. This is so good. I want you to hear a young boy's voice echoing across this wadi. Because I've been in this wadi, and I've stood in this land, and I can tell you it, 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 a crystal clear acoustics ringing across this tell, everybody would have heard it. So listen here. 
everybody's about to hear with clarity what David's about to say. He says, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come, with, come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Because David sees something, he sees something that no one else sees. David sees something that no one else sees. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. He sees armies whom you have defied. Not me. You have defied God. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Talk about prophetic now. This is craziness. I bet people were listening to David saying this on the Israelite side going, <laughs> they were actually packing their things up and getting ready to leave, which is what you would have been doing, right? This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and I will cut off your head. I mean, just think about that. The clarity with which he prophesies this in this moment is ridiculous. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to who? Exactly who Goliath had declared that he was going to do. To the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know, not that I'm a giant slayer, but all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly, and I think actually David is doing this, that all this assembly, not just you Philistines, but you Israelites will know that the Lord saves not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Now talk about a prophetic statement. They laughed then, but we don't laugh now about what David's doing there. And I want to tell you, I want to see that moment that David says that. I want to pan back to Saul's face, kind of see what he's thinking. I want to pan over to his brothers, kind of see what they're thinking. I want to pan across as people are packing their bags, getting ready to leave, right? And then I want to pan over to these people kind of looking at him like, you know, like he's crazy to even say these kinds of things. But listen to what happens next. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly, ran quickly, ran quickly toward the battle to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on its forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face to the ground, which is quite interesting if you ask me. He fell face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and with the stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine. This is the best part of the story right here. See, now you get to watch this giant laying on the ground, this 15-year-old boy standing over him. And then he took this giant sword, drew it out of its sheath, and violently chopped off his head. That's what he did. Let's not beat around the bush about that. He took out the sword, and he violently chopped this man's head off. And then he brings the sword back with him with the head over his shoulder as people are probably in shock at this moment. And I want to see that moment because I think people are a little surprised. The only one that's not surprised is David because he knew exactly what was going to happen. 
God told him what was going to happen. He spoke what was going to happen, and God did exactly what he promised he was going to do for David. Isn't that a crazy story? This is a fantastic story. This story isn't a battle between a man and another man. That's what people misunderstand the story. This is a battle fought by one man fighting against the apathy in his heart so that God could use him as a conduit to accomplish something that God wanted to get done. And don't you want to be that guy? Yes, I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that gets out of the way of God but is willing to be used by him so God will do great things. I want you to want that. Every one of you should be excited about that right now. Come on. You know you want to be this guy. Well, I want to be this guy too. And so we got to figure out how did David do this? How did he do it? I'm going to give you four things that I believe that he did, that he understood in these moments that I think will help you straight from this text. Here's the very first thing he did. He acted. He acted against his apathy by understanding that God had always prepared him for the fight. Always prepared him for the fight. Listen to this text at the beginning. We, we read it already, but I really feel like it's important to understand it. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth, and he arose against me. I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. You see, David understood that God had been preparing him for something. While he was out in those fields and everybody thought he was doing a meaningless task, God was doing something significant that no one saw. No one knew these things were happening with David. David kept them to himself. He was over here privately doing what appeared to be a meaningless job, a jovial job. Even his father Jesse had forgotten about him in the anointment. He was left alone. He was the runt of the litter. So he was doing runt-like things. Yet when he was out there doing what appeared to be meaningless tasks, God was doing great things with him. And David understood that. David understood that in a place where no one saw what was happening, God was preparing him for something. And in those moments that God was preparing him, he then, when he walks on this scene, sees it like he saw every other scene back here when he was shepherding sheep. Therefore, he looks at this giant like he looks at any lion or bear. That's what he says here. Because he understood that God back here was doing things to prepare him for stuff up here. God is always doing this in our life. I'm 51 today. No, no. You completely misunderstood it, but that's my fault. I am 51 years in age. My birthday's in November, but thank you for celebrating with me. <laughs> thank you. It's coming. Don't worry. So, but I'm 51, and over, the, over my life, I have watched God work. Isn't that how God works? He works in our life. We don't always see exactly what he's doing, and we can't put together all the little pieces, but in these little moments, God begins to reveal things to us. And along the way, he shows us things one little step at a time. 
And we've got to pay attention to those little steps and those little moments because in those little moments, God is speaking very divine things that sometimes we're not paying attention to if we're not looking at them closely and if we don't see them from a spiritual perspective. So my first year in college, I ended up showing up late to school. And because of that, I got all the worst classes you could possibly ever imagine, right? I had to pick from all these kind of crazy things that I don't want to pick from. And one of those classes, I had to do... Um, uh, I had to do some, like, a performance or a communications kind of thing, and I had two choices, okay? I either had to do theater, which I didn't want to do, or I had to do this speech communications class, and I actually didn't want to do either. So I chose the speech communications class, actually. First year in college. I show up to this class, and there's eight kids in this class. No kidding, eight kids in this class. And when we show up in the class, Dr. Patterson, I still remember this guy's name, Dr. Patterson said to us, here's what class is going to be like. All eight of you are going to give three five-minute talks in front of each other, and we're going to evaluate each other. That sounds like the worst kind of class ever to me. It sounds like going and getting an enema, right? Like no one actually wants to do it, but you're supposed to do it, and you're supposed to feel better after you're done. I didn't feel better after this when I got done with it. It was awful, and then we drew kind of straws for who was going to go first. So you kind of imagine this moment, guess who drew the short straw? So yes, I did. So after a week of class, we're supposed to prepare this five-minute speech, and you're supposed to talk about what you did last summer, something like that. Anyway, I went first, and everybody evaluated. It felt awful. I got done. Dr. Patterson, as soon as I got done, says, I want to talk to you after class. So I thought I was in trouble, right? So I stay around after all the other, you know, seven kids leave, and I come up to Dr. Patterson's desk, and he said, hey, hey Mr. Miller, uh, I know you've only been here about a week, but I saw you attended our church last week, and I, I suddenly realized this guy was attending the church that I went to one time, okay, one time. He was attending that church. So he said, Mr. Miller, I would love to have you do something for me. Uh, next week, I'm going to be gone, all right, and I teach a class at church. He turns to me and says, would you teach that class for me? And I said, Sure. Because I thought my grade depended on it is why. That's why I said, sure. But I want you to know I had only spoken one time in my entire life for five minutes, and it was just like a few minutes before that, right? But he called me out on it, and then he tells me after I say, sure, he says, oh, it's about 100 college seniors. And then he said, and I'm finishing up the book of Ecclesiastes, so you'll be doing the last chapter. And the one thing that I didn't tell him is I'd only been a Christian for like three months, like three months. I didn't even know where the book of Ecclesiastes was. I didn't know if it was like some interesting weird book or something like that. So I had to go home and read the book. I went home to my dorm room, read the book, and found out that everything in it was meaningless, right? And I was, I was like, why am I teaching on this thing, you know? So uh, basically what I did was, because I grew up in California, like you guys, all I had, I was, I was at school in Oklahoma, so all I had was uh, open-toed shoes and shorts. So I went to the Goodwill, and I got myself some pants and a dress shirt and some closed-toed shoes, and I got all ready for this thing, and I prepared some notes is what I did. And then uh, I showed up on Sunday morning, and I was scared to death. I couldn't put on enough antiperspirant to help me out in this situation. I was sweating before I even came in, Right? So I got a few notes on a page, et cetera, et cetera, and I'm getting all ready for this experience. And, and no kidding, kids are starting to come into this class. And they are literally 100 seniors in college, all right? I am a freshman. 
All right, I don't know what I got to say to these kids. I suddenly get really nervous. I begin to perspire. This kid comes up to me. He's going, are you Mr. Miller? Dr. Patterson said you might be teaching today. I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, I'm, I'm going to do like two announcements and then you're up. So no kidding. He talked for like 10 seconds and then I was up. And then I pulled, I basically it looked just like this. I had a little stand with uh, some papers on it, and I kind of walk up, and I get kind of ready, and I get kind of settled, and I am pretty nervous, and then a few words come out, and then I look up, I look up, and then Dr. Patterson walks in the room, smiling, <laughs> which is what you call a Christian liar, by the way. That's what that is, a Christian liar. And he sees me, and he does this thing. He's like, you know, I'm like, you've got to be joking me. So he sits way back in the corner. He's got a chair back there. He throws his arm over a couple of chairs like this, just like he's having the greatest moment of his life. You know, I sit there and I teach, and I don't even remember what I taught on, fellas. I'll be honest with you. It was 30 minutes in Ecclesiastes, okay? I mean, I just told him everything's meaningless and we're going to be okay, you know, and at the end of it, I get done and I sit down and I was exhausted. I, I remember being completely exhausted. And this kid came up after I got done, dismissed the class, and I just sat there because I didn't know what to do. Like, I didn't know what was supposed to happen next or whatnot, but I turned around and I saw there was just a, a short line. It was probably about 10 kids, and they kind of all approached me. <laughs> the first one comes up to me, and he said, he said, man, that was awesome. He said, do you do this all the time? <laughs> And I look back at Dr. Patterson, and he's smiling, and I said, no, not really. And I realized that Dr. Patterson was drawing out of me something that he saw in me that I didn't yet see in myself. Do you know the next week I had a job at that church? I worked there for the next four years, and it began my call to ministry over 30 years ago. Is that one? Yeah, you can applaud that. We can praise God about that, because he doesn't just do that in my life. He does that in all of your lives. God's been doing it for a long time. He's been wiring you together. But unfortunately, sometimes we disqualify ourselves from the calling that God has us. We listen to those voices that the enemy speaks in an effort to take us out of that game, to cause us to move toward that apathy when God is trying to push us toward action. And David understood it right here in this moment. He wasn't going to allow the voice of his brothers, the voice of a king, the voice of an enemy to stop him. He understood that back here God was doing something and up here God was going to do something exactly the same. That God was preparing him to fight. And he looked at the situation like he looked at any other. And that's the way that we should look at it. Because gentlemen, God is preparing you for incredible things. And he already has all you got to do is look back on what he's already done. It doesn't matter if it's a challenge in your past or something you did great. It doesn't matter. God is going to use those events against the enemy to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in and through you. You're no different from David. There was nothing that special about David. The only thing that was special about him is what God did through him. You are just like David, every one of you. You are a man indwelled by the Holy Spirit, called and prepared by God. And if God has prepared you, that's good enough. He's given you everything that you need. Next, number two, you got to act by developing a mindset for the fight. Act by developing a mindset for the fight. 
I love this moment that Saul gives David some things. Here it is again. Then Saul clothed David with his armor, his armor, his armor. Listen carefully to that, his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped on his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, but he could not go because he had not tested these elements. You know why this thing didn't work out for him? It didn't work out for him because Saul was the tallest man in all the kingdom. What he was wearing was custom armor made only for him, that only fit him. Yet the logical thing to do to go fight a giant who's wearing the very same things would be to put on similar armor to go out and fight. But David understood that he didn't need man-made weapons to go fight this giant because God had already given him weapons that he knew and was familiar with and could use. The resources that David needed were already in his hands. He didn't need anything more, even though sometimes we think that that's logical. It's logical to wait and get more things. I can't tell you how many guys have said to me, I can't wait. I, I, I can't tell you how many times in my lifetime, I hate this. Don't ever say this to me, by the way. How many guys have said to me, I can't wait till I retire, then I'll do ministry. Man, don't ever say that to me. God has already prepared you for the fight. You just need to have a mindset for it. The mindset that you need is now, it's immediate. You don't have to have a defeatist mindset. You just have to have the mindset that God gave you about the things that he's already given to you. And you need to have that mind, the mind of Christ, and then walk into the moments with that mind and those tools. That's it. <laughs> my, my middle son, his name is Grant. He actually... He is at the University of Tennessee, so go Vols today, I guess. Defeating the giant Goliath, Alabama. Amen. Oh, yeah. Hope you're not an Alabama fan. I figure I'm safe here in California. Maybe not. Okay. So anyway, my son, when he was in, he was in high school, uh, his, his last year, uh, a bunch of my, his friends were trying to persuade him to play hockey for the high school hockey team. And I come from a hockey state. It's the state of hockey. Everybody plays hockey. We had a pond out in our backyard, so kids used to come over skate all the time. I put up a rink out there in the wintertime, which began yesterday, right? So, you know, we put up a rink out there, put up lights out there, boards, the whole thing, so all the kids from the neighborhoods would come out. We even had the hockey team come out at times to come play on our ice. Just stick hockey. You know, it was all kinds of fun. Put a bonfire pit, all that kind of stuff. Well, one day, the hockey team is out there with my son Grant, who's a soccer player, and he's played soccer his whole life. He's out there with them, and the, the kids are like, dude, you should try out for the hockey team, as if that's a good idea, right? So they keep trying to persuade him and persuade him persuade him. This kind of continues to happen. Well, his senior year, they're begging him to play hockey. And he's like, I don't know what to do. So we're about a week away from tryouts, right? And my son comes to me one day, and he says, Dad, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, well, what do you think you should do? And he says, I don't know what I should do. And I said, why don't you just pray about it? That's what, you know, just, just kind of actually pray about it. See if you're supposed to do it or not. And no kidding, he, he leaves for the weekend for a soccer tournament. So he's gone on Saturday and Sunday to the soccer tournament over in uh, like Kansas or something like that. So anyway, we don't hear anything about tryouts from him on the hockey team, but it's Monday. Monday is tryouts, all right? So he's coming back on the bus on Sunday. He calls my wife and says, I think I'm going to try out. We don't have any hockey equipment. 
I mean, we have the basic stuff. We have stuff. We got some skates. We got good skates. Got some sticks. Great. We have no hockey equipment. So you know what my wife does? She goes down to the store and buys $700 of hockey equipment. $700. So I'm not the only one who makes mistakes, right? So, so she goes by $700 worth of the hockey. I, I got to tell you this. We got there just in time before the store closed. My wife didn't even know if it was going to fit, okay? Son comes home late, like midnight on Sunday, goes to bed because he's exhausted, wakes up the next morning, goes to school, right? Hockey tryouts are an hour after he gets home from school. He comes home from school, and he is exasperated. He's like, Dad, i got to get this stuff on. So here I am. I'm trying to help him an hour before tryouts fit on hockey equipment for the very first time. Anybody, anybody play hockey in here? Anybody? A few, this is complicated equipment, is it not? I mean, there's like an order you put it on, and it's hard to put on. And so I'm coaching my son through how to put each one of these elements on, and, and I'm, I'm saying you got to do it in this order, in this order, in this order, and I put his helmet on the head. I adjust the helmet, screwing down things. He's all dressed in brand new stuff, right, standing in front of me, and all of a sudden I look at him, and he looks scared to death. I mean, he is frightened. He's literally standing like this looking at me. And he, he goes, I go to him, I says, are you okay? He says, yeah, I think so. I go, are you concerned? He says, yeah, I'm scared to death. I says, good, I would be too if I were you. <laughs> That's the only wisdom I had. But then I grab him by the mask. I grab him by the mask, and I said, you know what? Go out there and pretend like you've done this your whole life, because I have no other advice for you. But you skate as hard as you can. You move as fast as you can. You keep that stick on the ice. You stay standing up. And I said, son, you're going to be just fine. So anyway, he goes to the first round of tryouts, and he makes it through the first round. No kidding. After day one. He comes in the second day, and he gets cut. Which, by the way, my youngest son had fun with for like a week, right? Like, he just loved it. But I'll never forget Thursday night that week. Thursday night that week, we had everybody at the table. And I looked over at my son, and I said in front of my wife and my daughter and my youngest son, I said, Grant, that was the greatest moment I saw in you this year. You faced into your apathy and in your fears. You had a mindset as a man, and you leaned into it, and you did something you'll never forget for the rest of your life. Way to go. Because that's what a man does. And sometimes we need other men to help us to have that mindset, to push us into it. David here is very proud of what he does. He throws them off on the ground because he knows he's already been given everything he needs for this fight. Number three is this. We need to not only act by preparing for our fights and act by developing a mentality for the fight, we need to act by charging into the fight. David did something that no one else did. He actually went into the fight. But he didn't just go into it. He didn't just casually walk into it. He ran into this thing. He ran into this thing. He understood that God was calling him into this thing, but he couldn't just tiptoe into it. He was going to have to burn the ships. He was going to have to leave everything behind. He was going to have to run into it, and this is what I love about David in this moment. Because, see, David understood he was prepared and had a mentality for the fight, but it's when he's running into the fight that all the beautiful things happen that begin to stir in me. That's the moment I want to see in slow motion in heaven. 
Oh, and then I just want to watch him and then pan back and pan over and kind of see this whole thing kind of playing out because that's the inspirational moment, the moment that he runs. He runs into the battle because you know why I think David runs? I think he sees something that no one else sees. What he sees is not a giant. What he sees is a giant God running behind him. Because I truly believe when we pan back, what we're going to see is that God is chasing the situation down. That it's God that's going to raise this echo of a voice that comes through David that says, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with the sword and with the spear and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Because David understands that this ain't about him at all. This ain't about anything about him. This is all about God who's running behind him that he sees. The God who's going to carry the stone and deliver it into this man's head. And deliver this man bowing before God on the field of battle. I mean, falls to the ground face forward. Why would he do that? That doesn't make any sense. Why? The only sense I can make out of it is that God was just demonstrating how cool he is. And God, who is honored by his defeat of the enemy, allows David a moment of victory. That looks like David's victory, but it's not David's victory. And the fourth thing that David does is he finishes the fight. He goes over there, and he gets the sword that he needed to get from the beginning. The sword wasn't back there. The sword was out there. And God was just saying if he would run out and get it. And he takes that thing out, and he chops off that man's head. Boy, if we did more of that in our own life, with the sins and the issues that we face, how many more battles would God win if we just went out into the battle? See, I think in this room tonight, there are men, I'm going to say it again, men that want to be this guy. But the only way that you get to be this guy is by allowing God to work through you and stop being apathetic toward the issues of your life. You've got to choose to make some decisions and see that God has already been doing a great work through you. He just wants to do it through you, and you've got to stop withholding those resources and what he wants to do. Because I've seen God do great things in my life just simply by me getting out of the way. And then when God does something like that and I get out of my own way, then I give God the glory. Because it's his glory anyway, isn't it? We're just vessels that he wants to use to expand his ever-increasing glory through us. Don't you want to be that guy? I want to be that guy. Well, guess what? You can be that man. I want to invite the worship team out here, and just to, they're going to come out right now, and they're going to join me on stage. But I have heard today that there are men who have made some decisions over the last couple of days. Men that have made decisions about their commitment with Christ or maybe some issues in their life. This is that moment that we declare those decisions. This is the moment that we step into the battle, that we run into it with the resources that we have and nothing more. There are some of you in this room who this weekend have decided for the first time, have believed for the very first time, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior. You believe for the very first time that Jesus Christ is the way, 
the truth and the life for you. You have done life your own way for a very long time, but you discovered here that God makes men and no one else does. You've been trying to be your own man, but you realized that it is God who makes men. He makes men into the men that he wants them to be and wants to restore your manhood to its right order. That he's called you into the kingdom as a man of God to be his man, his son forever. Some of you have already made that decision and believed that he saved you from that situation. You are ready for him to become your Lord. This is not, this is not easy believism. This is not just a ticket to heaven. A choice to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord is a forever decision. It's a decision that you make now that affects all the rest of your life forever. Don't take it lightly. But fellas, if there are some of you in this room that have made that decision for the first time this weekend, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to be brave and courageous. I want you to step into the battle, and all I want you to do is just stand up where you're at right now. That's it. Anybody make that decision here this weekend? Stay standing for me. Thank you, brother. Brother, what's your name? Paul, welcome to the family of God. You are a son of the living God. In you is an inheritance that you will receive into eternity. Brother, what's your name? Say it. Odie. Odie, welcome to God's family. You are a son of the living God. Anybody else make that decision? Just remain standing. Anybody else? Anybody else want to make that decision right now? Let's pray for these two gentlemen. If you want to, you can put a hand on these guys. God, we are your sons. We come to you broken, fragile, weak, but we know that we're full of grace. God, these two gentlemen right now are now part of our brotherhood. We're brothers in Christ, part of your great family. God, will you please bless these two men. With the power of your spirit, guide them throughout the journey of their lives. I pray right now that you'll change them forever as men, as fathers, as husbands and leaders, and that as they go home, that the effect of their life will be felt for generations, as it's been felt in many of our lives. God, may your blessing be on them as your spirit comes. May you give them power for those moments that are challenging. May you indwell them to help them to discover the gifts and their contribution to the church, to their family. And God, we give them to you. 
just like we have given ourselves. And we pray this in the name and the blood and the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Welcome to the family.